Welcome to the Community Health Alliances podcast brought to you by Monarch Healthcare Management as a donation to Care Resource Connection. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Steve Coring, the Fire Chief for the City of St. Louis Park. And I'm Amy Looked, the CEO of Care Resource Connection. And our two organizations form the Community Health Alliance that this podcast supports. We're at the Minnesota State Fire Chiefs Conference in Duluth, Minnesota, and uh, we're fortunate to have one of the busiest guys at the show, and that is uh, John Cunningham. And John uh, not only is the fire chief for the city of Brooklyn Park, but he's also the president of the Minnesota State Fire Chiefs Association. We welcome you, John. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And uh, tell us, let's, let's start with Brooklyn Park. So tell us a little bit about Brooklyn Park and your fire department. Sure. So Brooklyn Park is just loaded, located outside uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul. We're the sixth largest city in the state. Um, we are a growing city, uh, roughly 86,000 uh, residents. We're a very diverse community. Uh, roughly over 60% of our community is diverse. And within that diversity, it itself is diverse. So um, all over um, the United States, but also the world, um, we are home to uh, a large Liberian population, and you know, with that, you know, comes unique challenges as we, you know, serve a community um, that uh, has a very diverse uh, background. So that actually takes me down a path that I was thinking about, and that is the importance of of a DEI or race equity focus in uh, in our approach to community health, and uh, how challenging that can be sometimes. Uh, when our organizations don't necessarily look like the patients that we're that we're trying to serve, yeah, that's a very valid point, and and something that we've been very committed to is as a community and as a city and as a fire department is becoming more reflective of the community that we serve. Um, the last uh, few years, especially, uh, we've completely redone our hiring process and our onboarding process to uh, better reflect our community, where that's uh, eliminating barriers that are typical in the hiring process, uh, constructing a six-month fire academy and EMS academy that we can recruit from our community and then hire into our full-time ranks. And we've really seen that be a huge benefit to our community because it's members of our community um, that reflect our community that are now responding on these 911 emergency calls. Uh, one of the best examples um, was a Hmong family that was experiencing a medical emergency and one of our firefighters that happened to be working our latest uh, that just graduated off her cadet class was able to show up and actually speak very fluent native language um, to the family and really de-escalated and calm that situation um, and also help provide better patient care. Um, it really demonstrated why that is an important. We really also raised the bar on our hiring practices as well by making sure that we're testing appropriately and then onboarding and then training people as they enter the full-time fire service. I think that's that, that's a challenge that's being faced by a lot of fire departments across this country, right? They're being, they're, they're at the table having conversations with elected officials and community stakeholders who are asking the fire departments to be more diverse, be more reflective of the communities they serve. Your community is, you know, kind of a good example of that, but can you help our listeners understand some of the challenges that you face with trying to do that as it relates to, I mean, we know the trusted brand of the fire department. How do you, how do you create that messaging across a different platform of language and culture? 
Well, you know, you said it perfectly. The fire department has hundreds of years of tradition of building up that brand and that trust that exists. Um, you know, oftentimes, you know, when you talk about diversity, diversifying your workforce, um, that inappropriately gets associated with lowering a standard, and that's not the case. You know, we have very high standards in our organization across the fire service in the United States and the world. Um, but what we want to do is really be intentional about going out in the community and attracting uh, and recruiting firefighters and explaining to them um, as potential applicants what the benefits are on public service. Um, I'm so impressed with what we've seen in our community because a lot of these um, new recruits that are coming in want to give back to their community. They want to be involved and they want to uh, be a role model for those that they serve. Um, one of the, the best examples is a cadet that we just hired that uh, during his last interview, just flat out told me, I want to be a role model for my kid. Uh, I want to give back to my community and I want other children that look like me to know that they have an opportunity to serve their community. Uh, and he's been a rock star. He's been influential at our organization as well as the community on really uh, driving that, that race equity lens. And we talk about race equity, diversity and inclusion, uh, really living that, not just speaking it, but being intentional about living those values and what that means to be uh, truly reflective of our community, those that we serve. We actually uh, another point that I uh, I think ties into that really well is this discussion around community risk reduction, right? So one of your employees, your fire marshal Dan Cryer, actually was on our podcast, and uh, uh, Dan uh, shared a little bit about how you're approaching that. Amy spent has been spending time with your fire department, obviously talking a little bit about a future the future state of that work. Amy, I mean, this is this really is a community risk reduction kind of a discussion, isn't it? It is. It is definitely, you know, and having the city of Brooklyn Park and, and the Brooklyn Park Fire Department recognizing the importance of having that connection to the community and really looking at where those stakeholders are and looking to see where those community leaders are and those faith leaders, um, because it's, it's going to have to come from within right? It, you can't just bring things from outside and expect change to come and, and push it inward. I think that's where a lot of um, these types of programs fail. And there's such a rich, um, op, you know, just a huge choices of, of um, options there in the city of Brooklyn Park, you know, everything from, uh, you know, the, Liger the Liberian uh, groups and the Uganda groups that are coming in there and, and, just being able to talk with their leaders and, and the representatives that are no longer necessarily running for office anymore. They know that community. They want to be engaged in that community still. And so it, it's helpful because now you have a, a position where Hennepin County Public Health also understands where their, their needs are and, and where their gaps are. And so they're more open to having that community conversation in a in an open and and you know honest space where they're they're able to be you know a little bit more collaborative than than in the past. You know, I think that's just public health overall post COVID, just really having to look at things a little bit differently. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think Brooklyn Park is kind of a uh, this interesting. Uh, kind of uh, incubator, if you will, for these kinds of ideas to exist because of the diversity of the population and the fact that your organization, John, is taking a, a leadership role and trying to be part of that solution, I think, is 
is extremely uh, telling about uh, where this is going to go. Well, tell me a little bit about, I, I think you and I have had this conversation before, but help me understand, you know, one of the challenges that exist in those more diverse or multicultural kind of communities is the identification or the support of mental health resources. How does that, how is, how are you finding that's changing or are the challenges that exist there? So one of the things that, that as a city we're very proud of is the partnership that we're standing up right now, our law enforcement partners with the Hennepin County Public Health on embedding a social worker as well as a community paramedic to answer, the, answer those calls um, that don't necessarily warrant a law enforcement response, but really someone that has the clinical uh, ability to better diagnose and treat a problem and get the patient to the resource that they appropriately need. Um, mental health is a challenge not only in our community, but across the United States. Um, I would say it's increased since the uh, start of the pandemic. Um, we see that you know, in the front line um, each and every day. And we know that a law enforcement officer is not necessarily the most appropriate resource, but they also need to probably be there in a lot of these situations because that person may be in crisis. But we want to partner with our public health officials, law enforcement, and our ambulance services to make sure that they are getting the best treatment. But mental health is, is one part of that. You know, we still see a lot of disparities in healthcare and access to healthcare. From a 911 first response uh, entity, which we don't do uh, transport, we are actually a first response entity. All of our firefighters are trained as EMTs. We run over 9,000 calls a year. Uh, roughly 73% of those are medical related. So we are seeing, you know, our community members, you know, sometimes on the worst day of their life, and they either need a mental health resource or some type of access to healthcare. A lot of that can be preventative healthcare, um, and we need to connect them to the right resources. And when we see those disparities exist, especially in the 911 system, just sending them on an ambulance ride to the hospital is not necessarily going to fix their problem. They have uh, underlying, uh, you know, systemic issues that exist for financial, um, housing, um, access to food and other resources. And it's oftentimes just those navigation services that they need. And those are oftentimes the issues that we're struggling to really fix. Um, we know we can send a fire truck and either put the fire out, uh, put a Band-Aid or some type of dressing if it's bleeding and get the you know ambulance there and transport them to the hospital. Some of these other issues are much more complex that require multi-agency collaboration. And that's where we really need all of our stakeholder partners to step up uh, and to work with us because these are our community members. We are a local-based entity. We respond on the 911 call. When someone, come, when someone calls, we come. And it's important that we provide that level of, of care and, and access to the appropriate resources of what they're needing. Absolutely. I will say I have had feedback from many of the residents in Brooklyn Park how your fire prevention program works so closely with those first-generation students and how they're bringing those teachings back home and translating that for the very first time. So uh, the families can have a different type of the conversation when it comes to access and safety. Um, and I just think continuing to build on, on those types of things with your new hire and the community risk reduction program that you guys are doing, I think is gonna do a lot of great work there. Yeah, based on the challenges, it sounds like you need a community health alliance. <laughs> we happen to know where that exists. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, we, we sure do. And I think that's, that is truly the next piece of healthcare that we really need to focus on. Um, there's, there's an obvious gap when we look at those services that we want to be able to provide and, and be able to provide that level of care. Uh, Amy, as you said, you know, we're in truly committed to the community um, risk reduction effort. Uh, and as part of that is, you know, 73% of our calls are medical related. So we have historically focused a lot on the fire prevention side, which is still vitally important. But we also understand that we have an avenue to get into our schools, to get into our younger generation that, as you said, can translate those materials and get this information home to their elders and build those relationships um, across all generations. Um, we are the, the one entity that can show up and Everyone trusts the fire department. They can leave their front door open, give us their keys, and say, walk right in their house. Um, and we don't want to risk that reputation, but we also want to use that um, it to the positive so that we can uh, affect positive change in our community. And this, the side piece of that is we really are looking at what our data is showing us. You know, what types of calls are we going on? Because just because the, you know, the NFPA will publish, you know, the annual thing on what we're going to do for fire prevention every year, we want to take a, that a step further and say, is that relevant to our community? You know, just uh, because that's what the country is seeing as a national trend, we want to be very intentional about what messaging and what programming we have at a local level to make sure that we're truly addressing our needs. So in the limited time we have left, I want to, I, before we get into your role as the president of the State Fire Chiefs Association, I wanted to ask another quick question about, so a lot of fire departments are challenged with the compassion fatigue of of this repetitive uh, high utilization patient response. And so how do your firefighters and your organization, how are they reacting or responding to this effort to reduce that kind of volume? By far, our firefighters welcome, you know, any opportunity that we can to provide a better service to our community and truly focusing on um, the high utilization, um, you know, when we have repetitive calls to one address or to assist one patient, you know, that tells me that we're not appropriately addressing the root cause of that problem. Um, we've just taken a recent look at like group home responses and, and the council's directed us to really dive deeper into that challenge on how can we better uh, address that at a, at a city level, uh, but then affect that across the entire system. So we're really responding with the appropriate resource. Um, so that we're not uh, going back to each address um, multiple times. That's amazing. And th th thanks for sharing that because I think, like I said, I think you're an incubator for a lot of these ideas and, <clears throat> and we're happy that you're part of our Community Health Alliance. And uh, we look forward to having you on additional podcasts future to give us an update on where you're at. Let's switch gears a little bit and uh, tell us about the Minnesota State Fire Chiefs Conference. Uh, uh, you're the chief, uh, the, the high-level chief. You're the president of the organization. So how's the conference going? And uh, let us know. It's a great conference. We have over 525 attendees, hundreds of vendors. Uh, this is an opportunity for chiefs and line officers across the entire state of Minnesota uh, to get together to learn from the, the best of the best, uh, not only in the state of Minnesota, but across the country. We've been able to fly in instructors um, that are recognized in their field on leadership, on, on doing tactics and strategy, and even just to have roundtable discussions about what are some of the trends and topics that we're seeing across the fire service, as well as to learn just from other uh, fire chiefs that they may know or across the state uh, about lessons learned over the past year. 
Um, the other piece of that is we have a huge vendor show. Um, you know, technology is always, um, you know, at the front end of the fire service. Uh, we continue to change and adapt. Uh, and this is a great opportunity to bring our vendor community in with our fire chiefs and the decision makers so that they can get a firsthand experience on what the latest product innovations are, new technology, and just how to do things better. Um, but this also comes down to just networking. Uh, the best opportunity to, to, you know, shake hands and exchange business cards uh, is at an event like this, not necessarily the first time when you're responding to that 911 call. Uh, the Minnesota Fire Service um, has a strong tradition on helping each other. Um, almost every single fire that I've ever been on, we have mutual aid uh, partners. And as the Chiefs Association, we support that across the entire state. Um, in the past few years, especially, um, we've seen that kind of come together, whether it was civil unrest, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, and really, you know, this is that opportunity for us to share business cards, to network, uh, to make connections and, you know, true to our mission is to develop uh, current and future leaders. And that's what this conference is about. So you, we had a, on a previous podcast, we had uh, your legislative chair, uh, Fire Chief B.J. Jungman from Burnsville. Um, so how does, you know, how do you support as the president of this organization? How do you help support those legislative efforts and and bringing all the people to the table? I think you said it best is bringing the people to the table. Uh, I'm not an expert in all things, uh, certainly legislative issues, um, but I want to surround myself by the people that are truly doing the work uh, and are the experts in their field. Um, you know, we have a great relationship with our state uh, elected officials, uh, and it's all about the relationship. Um, the Minnesota Fire Service historically has uh, trended almost last in spending across the entire state. Um, and we see that being uh, materialized just in the day-to-day -day operations, whether it's recruitment and retention, um, access to um, you know, health and safety resources and to equipment and PPE. So the work that we do um, for legislative advocacy is, is vitally important. Um, we're very active uh, with our, uh, our lobbying team as well as just fire chiefs on just telling their stories. Um, we are not a nonpartisan. Uh, we stay out of the politics and we are just there to tell our story uh, and to advocate not only for our needs, but it's truly the needs of our community. Um, that's what we're there for. Uh, we're very proud of, um, uh, we uh, stand neutral on the political items and we're just there to say, this is what our, our needs are as a fire service. Uh, which also extends in the, you know, pre-hospital care because the majority of fire departments are responding to medical calls. Uh, so we can't ignore that. And that's a, that's a huge piece of the Minnesota Fire Service. It's been great to see your conference uh, uh, kind of listing or, or offering, you know, expand a little bit on the healthcare side, the community health side, and uh, we appreciate that. But are there, uh, are there other topics or areas of interest that are kind of emerging out there that, that, uh, fire chiefs are asking uh, for your organization to lead? We certainly are seeing uh, just the increased call for action on recruitment and retention. Uh, that exists across all spectrums, uh, but especially in the Minnesota Fire Service where the majority of our fire departments are volunteer paid on call. Um, we're seeing that, at, you know, at almost epidemic levels that we're seeing the exodus of firefighters and they're just not being replenished in that ranks. Um, that's combined with an increased call volume, and especially when you add uh, medical-related calls on top of that, that the majority of fire departments are responding to some type of medical call. 
that it's just increased taxing on our local systems. Um, we have to do better. Um, we have to address those issues uh, head on. Anyone that knows me and my leadership style, I'm not afraid to shy away from that. You know, I surround myself by great people to address those issues and to make sure that we're listening to our people, but then also just take those stands when we need to and, and not be afraid to ask for the help when we truly need it. And I think the recruitment and retention piece uh, as well as just being able to provide uh, good pre-hospital care. You know, we're starting to hear um, you know, increased response times from ambulance providers, which is then impacting um, our 911 service uh, and delivery times. And sometimes we have fire trucks just waiting on scene for an ambulance uh, for upwards of an hour. Um, and that's just not acceptable as people are looking to the local community uh, emergency service providers. And those are the up and coming issues that we truly see. Uh, because that has a downward um, impact on all the services and that ties up fire department resources as well as most importantly it just it, it inhibits the ability of that person getting to the hospital system and into um, the, the level of care that they need so those are truly the issues that we're seeing uh, arise out of the minnesota fire service because we truly are the local first responders a lot of times we live in our communities we serve our communities, um, and that's what we want to do as well. We want to be partners with our communities and, and fix the challenges that we see. Well, we've come to the end of our time together. We appreciate your willingness to, to join us on the podcast today. And I, I can't say good, enough good things about the leadership that you've exhibited uh, throughout this organization and the way you're leading it. And this conference is a great example of, uh, of how that looks. So thank you again for joining us. Thanks for your contribution to the Minnesota Fire Service. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Please tune in next Wednesday, wherever you listen to your podcasts.